This is the Chamber Chat Podcast, the show dedicated to chamber professionals to spark ideas and to get actionable tips and strategies to better serve your members and community. Hello, Chamber Champions. Welcome to Chamber Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Burton, and it's my goal here on the podcast to introduce you to people and ideas to help you better serve your chamber members and your community. Our title sponsor is Community Matters, Inc. With nearly 20 years in the chamber industry and over 100 media awards presented to their chamber partners, Community Matters provides the R&R that every chamber needs, revenue and recognition. When it comes to publishing a chamber map, directory, or community guide, Community Matters has a trusted experience to help your chamber accomplish your goals. With different advertising sales models and publication styles, Community Matters will help you create a non-dues revenue machine. Let's hear from Becky Womble, President and CEO of the Bastrop Chamber, to hear about her experience using Community Matters. I've been using Community Matters for probably six or seven years now. And um, in a previous life, I sold commercial printing. So I can highly recommend Community Matters because it's a complete turnkey job for any busy chamber exec. Um, Basically, you give them a membership list. And from there, they contact your members and it's no high pressure sales or anything. And it really is a complete turnkey job from start to finish. And it's a wonderful, beautiful printed product whenever you're finished. And I just, I'm very sold on Community Matters. And with a printing background, I just, big endorsement for me. To learn how Community Matters can support your chamber with your next publication, please visit communitymattersinc.com slash podcast to request your free media kit and request a proposal to find out what kind of non-dues revenue you can generate. Our guest for this episode is Jeremy Arthur. Jeremy currently serves as the Executive Director of the Government and Economic Development Institute at Auburn University. He serves as a chief administrative executive responsible for the total operations of the organization that provides guidance, training, professional development, leadership, community development, research, and civic engagement endeavors across the state of Alabama. Jeremy began his career at the Economic Development Institute at Auburn University and then went on to serve as president of the Prattville Area Chamber of Commerce in Alabama, where he led community development initiatives, economic development efforts, tourism plans, and many other programs. Most recently, he served as the president and CEO of the Chamber of Commerce Association of Alabama and represented all the local chambers of commerce across the state, providing guidance, training, professional development, and leadership and advocacy. Uh, He serves on several uh, boards and organizations on the national level, state and regional levels, both within communities and in the the chamber industry as well. But Jeremy is a two-time Auburn University graduate and is currently a PhD candidate in public administration and public policy. He also holds the uh, CCE designation, which is held by less than 4% of chamber executives nationally. Jeremy, I'm excited to have you with us today on Chamber Chat Podcast. I know you've, you've been on my radar, as, as we talked about before we got on the recording, for some time, and it's great to, to finally have you on the show. So love for you to say hello to all the Chamber Champions and share something interesting about yourself so we can all get to know you better. 
Hey, Brandon, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I love the term chamber champion because that's exactly what chamber of commerce executives, professionals, and leadership are. They are champions to me. Uh, I lived in that world for a long time. I still get to play in that world now, uh, even though I have moved uh, back into higher education. But uh, thank you for what you do and the service that you provide uh, just to connect chambers and, and really celebrate them. Uh, it's been great. I have loved my chamber uh, career. Uh, again, ran a about a thousand member chamber for about 10 years, uh, the largest suburb right outside our state capital uh, in uh, Alabama, uh, in Prattville, and then went on for uh, another eight, nine years to, to run our state uh, chamber association, 120 chambers in the state. So I've done a little bit of everything from uh, lobbying to leading to training to serving to you, you name it. So uh, put those hats on, uh, as so many of your listeners do uh, every day, uh, and I will know that. So um, it's fun. It's great to be with you. Uh, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, you've, you've, gained, you've got a little bit of experience over your career of doing, you know, touching on all these different areas of work. So uh, currently, maybe tell us a little bit more. I mean, you, you touched on the, the Prattville Chamber and, and uh, you know, leading the, the Chamber Association there in Alabama. Tell us a little bit more about your current work at the University of Auburn and, and your current position as Executive Director of Government Economic Development Institute. What, what does that entail? What, what does your work look like these days? Right. So really, it expanded my scope and scale of work to add the government piece. So I would say essentially we're a training institute. So we do uh, whether in the government arena, uh, whether you're an elected official, whether you're an appointed official, whether you're a merit employee or what I, a bureaucrat. And I don't use that term negatively. That just means someone who works for the government, who has a career in the government. Uh, we do all sorts of certifications, accreditations, a career trajectory, um, basically professional development, continuing education, all of those things, county commissioners, probate judges, uh, and then whether you work at the DMV or that uh, you're a tax assessor, we run all that on the government side of the house. And then our economic development side of the house still keeps me connected to the local chambers of commerce. Uh, we have certification programs for chambers, for chamber execs, for economic developers, all in that arena. So I lump that in and call that community development. Uh, and then that even touches on tourism, that touches on hospitality. So all those quality of life issues, but then also the professional execution of those duties. That's what we do at our office as the training institute. We have a research arm because obviously we're a, an institute of higher education. Uh, and so we do some publications looking at issues facing Alabama that really transcend uh, from one end of the state to the other that a lot of our chambers uh, in the state are trying to tackle uh, that really are, are issues across the country, whether we're looking at inflation, whether we're looking at uh, Medicaid expansion, Medicare, uh, whether we're looking at uh, prison population, education, et cetera. Uh, so that's a little bit about what we do. And then we offer some community assistance projects, partner with a lot of folks uh, to just try to increase wealth uh, and increase uh, training. We do some entrepreneurship training for businesses, very involved in Main Street. Uh, so again, all that's going to ring very clear uh, with Chambers uh, still. Absolutely. And I appreciate you giving that background and, and the work that you're involved with now, because I know I know when you announced that you were leaving the Chamber to, to go back to the University of Auburn, there, I know there was a little bit of heartache amongst the Chamber professionals, like, ah, Jeremy's leaving the profession. <laughs> but he's, he's not, all right? He just a, he's not employed at a Chamber directly, but he's still very involved with, with Chamber work and community development, as, as he just explained. So 
he uh, he's still here. He's still connected and, and he's on the show today to provide some of that knowledge for us. So <laughs> well, thank you. You are too kind. I appreciate that. I, some of my, literally my best friends uh, I have made through this profession uh, all over the country. Uh, and, and so uh, I'm very blessed and, and uh, appreciative of that. Absolutely. So as we get into our discussion, our, our topic, our area of focus for our discussion today is going to be around governance. And uh, I know, you know, people across the country, chamber professionals, they, they may have heard you talk and, and present on governance at, at different conferences and so forth, but there's a lot that haven't yet. Um, and even for those that have, this may be a good, uh, you know, good thing to be able to earmark in their podcast player and go back and, and listen to it again and and reference it often. So I'm excited to get into this uh, conversation with you as soon as we get back from this quick break. Are you looking for a year-round affordable and timely shop local campaign for your chamber or CVB? Look no further. Build a custom Eat Shop Play mobile app with App My Community by visiting appmycommunity.com slash chamberchat. App My Community mobile apps are not just simple membership directory listings. They provide many more capabilities to engage with your community. Provide your residents with a robust events calendar. Partner with a local fair, festival, or farmer's market to provide a schedule, map, and other resources to promote the event. Run a small business Saturday campaign any time of the year using built-in scavenger hunts. Allow your membership to communicate directly to their customers via push notifications. Your App My Community mobile app will be a unique member benefit, allow you to generate non-dues revenue with sponsorship opportunities, and best of all, provide a valuable resource to your community. Please visit appmycommunity.com chamberchat now to receive 10% off your first year of an App My Community mobile app. Attention all Chamber of Commerce leaders! Are you looking for a powerful tool to help you manage your chamber? Look no further than Chamber Nation. Their comprehensive platform provides all the features you need to streamline membership management, host events, communicate with your members, and provide amazing services to your members. Plus, their expert team is always available to provide personalized support. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your chamber to the next level at a price you will truly appreciate. Visit richardscalendar.com to learn more about Chamber Nation today. Hi, it's me, Donna from Yifty. Have I mentioned that we're working with chambers and other leaders on community cards in more than 500 cities across the U.S.? Yifty is the undisputed leader in community cards because we did it first and have learned a lot and because it's free for you to set up and free for your members to participate. Plus, we do all the heavy lifting for you. Many chambers have chamber checks or other similar programs. Imagine the benefits of those without the extra costs of staffing, creating and tracking checks, and reconciling payments. Community cards are all digital, sold online, and always available on the cardholder's cell phone. We provide tons of training and marketing materials. Come check us out at yifty.com, Y-I-F-T-E-E.com, or email sales at yifty.com. Back to you, Brandon. All right, Jeremy, we're back. Um, as I mentioned before the break, I know you've uh, you've presented on on governance a lot. So, um, 
as far as the, the topic matter goes, uh, I would definitely default to you as far as uh, you know, what, what to cover here. But I, I'd like to just hand the mic over to you and uh, maybe talk about what are some of those key things as the chamber looks at governance and, and how they work you know, in connection with the board and where those areas of responsibility lie. Um, what are some of those key factors that chambers need to be mindful of in, in running a successful organization? Brandon, I know we laughed when we started this. I said it's hard to make this topic sexy. Uh, and as much as you said, you know, governance is, is just not that flashy, uh, you know, set the world on fire. But to me, it is critical because you've got to get your internal house in order before you can build your external house. And really, the sound governance structure is necessary at all levels of the organization. We certainly apply it uh, to uh, the boards or the councils or our governing authorities uh, that we serve, uh, typically elected uh, by our membership. But really, it, it stretches out to our volunteers what they should know uh, and how they can support and help with our own governance uh, issues. And then certainly there are key documents that people don't even think about are related to, um, to governments. To, to governance as a whole, you know, I would I start by saying that there's some some board basics and and you're right. I've been blessed. I've worked in 14 states uh, and I just finished one in Virginia two weeks ago doing board retreats and board orientations and working on governance governance uh, strategies. I was very fortunate to uh, teach uh, and still also chair the um, United States uh, Chamber of Commerce Institute for Organization Management Board of Trustees. And so I finished that um, year before last uh, as chair and so taught at all the institute sites and, uh, you know, worked with ACCE and, and all of our partners. And so I've done about 300, I think, plus uh, of these. And, and really, it's if you start fundamentally, it's, it's with duties. And so you, when you're looking at governance, it's the duty of care that means as a volunteer leader of an organization, as a board member, let's say, that you are going to make all the decisions you can based on the material that's available to you and the information that you have so that you can make a decision in good faith using the best judgment you have to reach a reasonable conclusion. Uh, so that's the fundamental definition I think that we're dealing with. And then subsequent things, duty of loyalty. You know, you want to protect the interests of the chamber uh, that you're serving. Don't do any harm or injury to it. Uh, and then I would say you've got a review and approve function. So that's a, a primary function of a board or of a governance entity where you're looking at all things relating to the organization, to the chamber, the mission, the vision, the strategic plan, the budget, um, you know, policies and procedures, all of those internal workings. Uh, and we'll talk about bylaws, I'm sure, later, uh, one of the key governance documents. But then just overseeing those and making sure you're compliant. Uh, and then I guess kind of maybe two or three more, you're going to select uh, the board uh, really hires and, and fires or evaluates uh, the chief staff person. Uh, so whether that's a, an executive director or president of CEO, uh, and then that chief staff person hires and fires, evaluates uh, the rest of the staff. And so that's a key um, component for them. And then I guess the last piece I would just say in basics is that they're just monitoring the organization and the performance of the board themselves. It's self-governance. It's peer accountability. Uh, so, again, being ethical, being fair, being transparent, 
avoiding conflicts of interest, working for the best interest of the organization, uh, setting that strategic direction. That's all fundamentally uh, what a board um, should be doing. Now, how do you do that? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, there's, I would say there's, that's what we have you here for today. Tell us yeah. how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so first and foremost, you will always hear me talk about the mission statement. Uh, and, and so that is really who you are. Uh, it's usually brief uh, and it really does guide the actions of the chamber. It, it states your overall purpose, why you exist. Uh, it's supposed to give you a sense of direction and, and help guide your decision making. Uh, most maybe you don't know it is required uh, by the IRS uh, to have a mission statement. Uh, it can be changed, but it's submitted annually. Uh, certainly, you know, most people are probably familiar with the Form 990, but Form 1023 or 1024. Uh, and again, it really does guide you. And that's why I was going to say if you're doing things that are outside of your mission statement, to me, that's a red flag. Uh, you've kind of got that mission drift or that mission creep. Um, you know, fundamentally, I guess, just to organize, you've got to have articles of incorporation uh, in most states. And whether that's done with the Secretary of State's office or whether that's done with the Department of Commerce or whatever, it's just a legal document that allows you to organize, uh, state your purpose, uh, usually register as a nonprofit, uh, in most cases, a, a C6, a 501C6, which again is just a, a tax designation, uh, and really just kind of defines your purpose related to kind of state government. And then I think the key document is your bylaws. There is a reason if you look at that word, it is by law. <laughs> so it is your set of rules that you agree. The good thing about it is uh, most states give you some sort of nonprofit statute to follow, but you set your own rules. Uh, it's how your relation, how you work with your members, how you work with your investors, your partners, and it governs and relates uh, and regulates your internal structure. So it's how you do business. There, it's kind of typically broad and very general, but it's your procedures for your meetings. It's your boards. It's how you select your board. It's how you amend the uh, bylaws and, you know, those kinds of things, all those steps that kind of govern you internally. But please make sure you do what are in what's in that document. Uh, and we'll talk about that uh, because that is the surefire way uh, in theory. Uh, well, really, in practice, if you violate those bylaws and it's pointed out, um, you can lose your nonprofit status. Uh, and so that's a downer uh, in an overall upbeat uh, chamber chat podcast, but that's how serious this is. And so, you know, I've seen bylaws that that haven't been updated in 30 years, you know, that, that were the original set of bylaws when the chamber was organized. And it still says, you know, we're going to notify our members of our annual meeting 10 days prior to the meeting via the United States Postal Service and, you know, all those kinds of things and just sort of outdated. And it really needs to be updated, refreshed. Uh, in fact, our best practice, I would say, with your bylaws is uh, we instituted an operations committee that meets every third year uh, because that's how our board rotation was, that theoretically we could have uh, a third of our board members uh, new every three years. And so this just took an operations operational approach to say, we're just going to look at all of our operating documents and make sure we're following them, make sure they're up to date, make sure they're current and making helping us meet our mission. Uh, and then that leads, you know, your policies and procedures. 
Make sure you know policies are not procedures. <laughs> uh, for example, the policy may be any check over $2,000 has to have two signatures. Okay, that's the policy. The procedure is then who the CEO signs it, the treasurer signs it, uh, you know, it's then processed through this account, et cetera. So make sure, uh, you know, those are um, really consistent, uh, but that they also mesh with the bylaws and, and that none of these documents conflict. You've probably got a strategic plan. It outlines your, your goals and your objectives, what you're trying to do. If you think about it, your budget is even a governance document because it is your income and expenses. Uh, it's approved by the board. Uh, it's documented oftentimes with line items. And then if you've got sort of an annual work plan, I guess that's kind of the final document in my mind, um, just how you can track your progress. Are we meeting our goals? Are we implementing the strategic plan? And here's how we're doing that. Are we including those performance measures and responsibilities? And are we are the goals in place to help us accomplish that? Um, so all those things are kind of in a solid governance uh, structure model, I guess. So as you went through a lot of these different documents, these, uh, I guess, pieces of the structure, um, as you talk about budget, to me, that that seems like a commonplace thing to, you know, you review your budget on a regular basis, call it a monthly basis, make sure your income expenses are what you expect and there's not any surprises coming up. And um, I know a lot of chambers, they look at their strategic plan, maybe on a three or five-year basis, but then review it annually to make sure they're staying on track. Um, any guidance as far as uh, how often to be reviewing a, a mission plan or you know, a mission statement? Or uh, you mentioned the bylaws, you know, maybe it, the suggestion was every three years, maybe, depending on the structure of your, your board and your organization. But Correct. What, what are some of these uh, maybe good practices for keeping these things up to date and making sure that you're staying on course? That's why we codified it in our bylaws. You know, if, if you put a committee in your bylaws, then that committee has to meet. Uh, and so that's why we said, OK, we're going to make sure that this committee meets. And ours just happens to meet every third year. It could meet annually um, to really look at it. I mean, I wouldn't envision that the total direction of a chamber would change that often. I mean, you can get some broad language in a mission statement, but uh, I put the mission statement at the top of every single one of our board agendas because it gives us focus. And really, I would challenge our board, the, the boards that I've worked for, to say, before you make a motion, read that mission statement. And is the action that you're proposing to obligate the chamber to fulfill, can you find a place for it in that mission statement? And to me, that's the ultimate way to prevent mission drift or mission creep and keep you focused uh, on what the task is at hand. Again, the mission statement is your very purpose for being. I'm a big fan of moving things into consent agendas. If they don't require action of the board, but there are board reports that the board needs to be aware of, you know, being a board member is an active process and it requires an obligation on both parts. So not only the professional staff, of which I was, and your listeners probably are, but if you're a board member, it also requires you to participate and read the things that are sent to you, because again, you're the governing authority. And so if there's no action item, but it's important so that you know the work of the chamber, 
put it in the consent agenda that requires one motion uh, again, and it can be voted on that way. And it really streamlines your board meetings. It, you know, Brandon, I've always said serving on the chamber board should be a positive experience. And I know when I facilitate a lot of these, I will oftentimes, in fact, I think I've said it in probably every one. <clears throat> if the serving on the chamber board is not a positive experience for you, there is no harm, no foul in bowing out. Um, and for whatever reason, you may have personal circumstances that have changed, professional circumstances that have changed, or you've just lost the passion. That's okay. Our lives are constantly changing. And I promise you, you're not doing that chamber a favor by hanging on to that board position. Just step back for a little bit. We'll replace you and let's reconsider you in the future. Um, that's a hard decision sometimes, a hard discussion, but it shouldn't be. Because again, you want what's best for the organization. The leadership wants what's best for the organization. And so I think we need to really take a look at that. But going back to that mission statement and those Really, if a motion is made that's going to obligate the chamber into an action, make sure it lines up and doesn't violate your bylaws, uh, is within your scope and your scale, and really follows your mission statement. So I think that's some actionable takeaways, hopefully. Absolutely. And as you talk about board members and being actively engaged with, with the board, um, I think for any any chamber listening to to be mindful of that, too, as you recruit board members, to think, is this somebody who has that bandwidth to be actively engaged or is it a, a status symbol you know, for them to be on the board? Yeah, are they checking a box? Right. And, and Brandon, I'm a huge proponent of written job responsibilities and roles for a board member. Give that prospective board member a job description. I'll send you a sample. Reach out to me. I mean, there are tons of samples. You can Google them. ACCE has tons of samples. Um, again, to me, it's the highest compliment and utmost show of respect because I'm asking you, here's what I need from you, potential prospective board member. Here's the time commitment I'm asking for. Here's the potential financial commitment I'm asking for. Here's the attendance requirement that I'm asking for. Here's what I need you to do. Can you objectively look at that and say, I can do it? Now, also in that job description is what the chamber exec's going to provide to you. I'm going to be respectful of your time. I'm going to make sure that our board meetings only last an hour. I'm going to make sure that I'm really seeking your input and your guidance, and I'm not just providing a report to you. I need your, I need your expertise. I need you to lead for me. So it is you know, it's a two-way street, but to me, it's the ultimate show of professionalism and respect so that a prospective board member could determine whether they can say yes or no. And then also during their term, they can continue to evaluate if they're able to meet that job responsibility. Write it down. It's not meant to be overly legalistic or, you know, you didn't do this or you didn't do that. It's just, a, again, an agreement of how we need to move forward together. Right. And, and like you said, it goes both ways. And I can picture, you know, most board members are busy people. They're some of the Absolutely. busiest people in the community. You want you, busy people. <laughs> right, right, right. You don't want the person who's just looking for time to fill, right? Correct. So, so as you have busy people on your board and you're recruiting busy people, you need to be able to give them some kind of an outline. Otherwise, you're just saying, hey, we want you on, your, on our board. And then as you have things come up, 
you're getting frustrated because they're not responding in a timely manner or they're not meeting your expectations Correct. because you've never shared what those ex- expectations were to begin with to see if it was Correct. reasonable for them. So I think that is a, a key point to, uh, to apply in your, your recruiting of board members. Um, are there other, I, I'm sure there are, are there other things that, that we need to, to make sure listeners are considering when it comes to governance at their chamber and, and working well with their board and, and, uh, and specifically I'm, I'm thinking towards the bylaws and making sure, um, you know, it, it's not a fun thing, right. To go back no. and read through your bylaws <laughs> over and over Absolutely <laughs> and not. At, at the same time, you know, I almost think of it as, as a, a quite literally a religious practice, right? So right. somebody in religion, you have your book of scripture, you have your Bible or whatever. You don't just read a passage of scripture once and then forget about it, right? Someone right. who's religious goes back to those those scripture passages over and over to ingrain it and make it be part of them. And I see the bylaws kind of being something similar where you need to go back to it often to become ingrained as, as part of you and your regular practice. That's the perfect analogy. Uh, and it is incumbent upon really staff more so than board, although it's applicable to the board because that's the rules they follow. Um, but it's really on you as staff uh, to make sure you're doing that. And that's why it's just good to review them. Uh, again, I think as, a, as an exec in a chamber, you've got to know those bylaws, like you said, forward, backward, upward, downward. Uh, you need to know everything in there. And again, it's not to be, um, you know, I want to say this uh, and put a disclaimer on there. They could really be quite vague. So as membership-based organizations, uh, well, I'll use specifically in the state of Alabama where I am, uh, if you can't tell by my accent, I'm sure you can. Uh, You knew it was somewhere in the South, listener. Uh, But um, in Alabama, as a membership organization, uh, we're required to have an annual meeting. Uh, at least some event, some opportunity where the entire membership is invited. And and typically it looks like uh, when we have a change of officers or an awards banquet, you know, that's typically where we incorporate that. But it has to have an opportunity and it is a business meeting for all members of the organization to be invited and also have a chance to uh, address the uh, assembly as a whole, address the board. Um, Most of the time it doesn't happen, but you understand that. Um, But to me, if you put that in the bylaws, you can just simply say our organization, our chamber will have an annual meeting, period. And I've seen so many bylaws that say our annual meeting will be on the third Thursday of September. It will start at six o'clock and it will be at the Civic Center. Well, you just set yourself up for failure if something happens on the third Thursday of September and the Civic Center is booked. I mean, you know, and that sounds trivial, but in theory, you're in violation of your bylaws. You have broken your own rules uh, and that sets you up for, you know, uh, not good. To, and it can go as far as litigation, you know, those kinds of things. If you have a disgruntled member. And again, I've seen things that were not malicious. They were just innocent. I've seen people um, focus on an end date rather than a pre-process Uh, and kind of skirt some things. And again, not malicious at all, but violated the bylaws. And so automatically you broke your own rules uh, that govern your relationship between you and your members. Uh, And when that happens, you lose trust uh, and it just kind of spirals from there. Yeah, I I can see we're we're leaving a little bit of vagueness because it's helpful to be able to have that flexibility to stay within your bylaws, but also be able to adapt, you know, as as times change and 
if you're set to be on the you know the third Tuesday of you know <laughs> at the Civic Center, and then your your chamber size you know doubles in size, which hopefully you know, and you can't fit in the Civic Center anymore. Right. Than what, you know. So and that's yeah, why, yeah. like you said, a periodic review of your bylaws is key because then you can adapt to the changing circumstances you find your chamber in. Just right. the prime example you just used. Right. Very good. Well, Jeremy, as we start to wrap up here, I wanted to ask you if if you might have any tip or action item for listeners who are interested in taking their chamber up to the next level. What might you suggest for them? Well, I'm biased. I'm going to tell you to start to go to Institute. Uh, first and foremost, uh, the Institute for Organization Management with the U.S. Chamber. Like I said, I just finished my term as a chair of the, the Board of Trustees, but multiple sites, uh, multiple times across the year. It's really a great foundational program. Uh, and then it led me to pursue my CCE. Uh, like you said, less than you know, four or five percent of, of execs in the country have a certified uh, chamber executive uh, designation. Um, same way with um, ACAE and, and their CAE, their Certified Association Executive, um, all in this realm and arena. I, I mean, that's your professional designation and your certification. Uh, and it also shows your continuing education. Um, you know, I'm biased now. I would say partner with your local university. If you've got a regional uh, or a statewide, I, I happen to have a statewide footprint. Uh, and we're all the time, there are institutes like mine, whether it's called a similar name or, or something different, uh, Office of Public Service, again, professional continuing education at institutions of higher education, whether it's a community college, uh, whether it's a technical college, whether it's a four-year institution, you name it, that can be a great resource. And that also has access to resources uh, that can help you uh, and be a great partner. And so that's a shameless plug given what I do now, but it also helps me and, and again, keeps me connected uh, to, to that. And so I think that's great um, takeaways. Review those documents. Don't let, it's not a daunting task. Uh, reach out for help. We have a great network. Uh, your listener base, your followers here, you can make connections. Um, and then I would say, continue to invest. Listen to this podcast. I, I mean, I just listened just recently. Uh, we, we were talking, I, I travel a lot. And so it's great for me to be a, a podcast listener in the in a car or on a plane uh, as much as I travel. And, and so just continue to, to really benchmark those best practices. And don't be afraid to ask. This community across this country is so helpful, is willing to, to, I mean, literally counsel you, share best practices. And I'll be the first to say, you call me, I'll tell you where I messed up. And I'll say, hey, don't do this. Because <laughs> I did it and it didn't work. It might work for you, but let me help you avoid some pitfalls. So um, I hope that helps too. Um, but just again, make sure your internal house is in order uh, because when it's in order, the sky's the limit what you can do externally. Absolutely. I love those tips. We can just keep going all day with, with these lessons yeah, you've learned. Exactly. <laughs> so Jeremy, I like asking everyone I have on the show as we look to the future of Chambers of Commerce, how do you see the future of Chambers and their purpose going forward? I think they're more relevant now than ever before. But I think their roles uh, and their definitions are changing. Um, we're no longer just um, an entity that networks. We should be an entity that convenes, uh, facilitates, and leads. And we're doing just that. Uh, when you look at the innovative things that communities are doing across the state, led by their Chamber of Commerce, 
because the chamber is seen as that convener of bringing partners together, of making those connections to truly solve real world problems. Um, I'll use an example here in Alabama. For, for years, our business community and our education community talked at each other, not with each other and not to each other. They talked at each other. And we have broken down those silos to really say, business community, how can the education community help you? How can they help you train your workers? What do you need to tackle these workforce development issues? What are programs we need to do? And again, the chambers across the state led that charge and are leading that charge. And I will also say, you know, unfortunately, we do find ourselves um, sometimes in a divisive culture uh, where, you know, that sensational bad news sells. And we have so much good news to sell and to talk about. Yeah that we need, to, we need to be there. We need to be the front line uh, for every negative headline generating four positive headlines because they're there in your community. And also don't shortchange yourself and don't undersell yourself. Something that may you may consider trivial and it's just a part of your job can really be life-changing to a lot of people. Tell your story, tell your story. It's hard, we're busy doing the work. So we don't have time to tell our story. We're doing the story. But don't forget to tell your story uh, because it's important and people should hear it. Absolutely. I love that. Great, great vision of the future, but also, you know, chock full of more tips, too. So <laughs> good deal. <laughs> well, thank you, Jeremy, for uh, for sharing this, you know, great, great information with us. I hope this is a an episode that listeners go back to often as maybe as, you know, a regular basis as they go back to look at their bylaws. Go back to this episode. What did Jeremy say to do here? And just, you know, jot down your notes and, and make it a regular practice. But Jeremy, I want to give you an opportunity to share any contact information for listeners who want to reach out and connect with you, learn more, and just maybe uh, dive in a little bit deeper. Where where would you point them to uh, to reach out and connect with you? Absolutely. Hey, you can follow me. I'm on all the social media platforms. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, our Institute, the Government and Economic Development Institute. If you just go to auburn.edu, uh, you can find us there. Uh, it's technically auburn.edu slash outreach slash GEDI. Uh, and you can find us there. Uh, we would love to, to you know, I, I will help you if I can help you. Uh, certainly we cover uh, the state of Alabama, but my reach is much broader and much uh, you know, more in scope uh, than that. And I'm willing to, to help you. And, and if you'll reach out to me anyway, uh, also my email, just my first uh, initial last name, J Arthur, A-R-T-H-U-R at auburn.edu. Uh, and I think I've given my, my employer and my alma mater plugs by saying that Auburn <laughs> University. Uh, so, um, but again, reach out to me if I can help you. There are free resources uh, on our website as well that anybody can use. Uh, specifically, I'll just put a plug. There's a you'll see a tab on our website called Know Your Community, free and open to anybody. Has great demographic research of literally every community in the country. Uh, you can do comparative research. Uh, again, look at that. Uh, and if we can help you, uh, thank you. And then I would just encourage folks continue to listen to this chamber chat. Even if you see a topic that you say, well, that doesn't really apply to me, listen to it because I promise you, you will take away something 
from your guests uh, and their experience uh, if you'll listen. I appreciate that, Jeremy. Um, we will we'll get your contact information in our show notes for this episode. Um, the website I encourage everybody to check out the Know Your Community tab. It uh, sounds like great great resource there for for anybody listening. So and it's free. Yeah, and it's free. You can't beat that. I love that phrase. <laughs> well, Jeremy, thank you so much for being with us today. Provided a ton of value for listeners. And uh, this is a, the perfect type of uh, programming that we like to have here on the podcast. So thank you so much. Thanks, Brandon. If you are a chamber professional, please subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. When you subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast, new episodes will show up in your podcast app each week as they are released. If you're finding value in this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review in iTunes. But most importantly, please share Chamber Chat Podcast with your colleagues that are in the industry. Have you ever thought about creating a podcast for your chamber? We always hear about how chambers need to be storytellers. What better way is there to tell the stories of your members and the work of your chamber than through a podcast? Your audience is waiting to hear from you as a convener of leaders and influencers, champion for business, and catalyst for change within your community. I just launched a chamber podcast course with the goal to get your very own podcast started within 30 days. Visit chamberchatpodcast.com slash pivot to learn more and to enroll in the Chamber Podcast course today.